1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself, so they did in Shiloh and all the Israelites that came thither. Also, therefore, they burnt the fat. The priest's servants came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to Rose for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but, but raw. And if any man said to him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him and say, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel, he ministered before the Lord being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 of 1 Samuel is a contrast of three boys. Now, we know Hophni and Phinehas were older, but sons of Eli and Samuel has now been brought to the temple and left there to minister. What you're going to see constantly when Hophni and Phinehas are mentioned, uh, immediately afterwards Samuel is mentioned, we know these boys were identified in verse 12 as sons of Belial. God describes their sin and there were customs. These boys were very uh, fleshly and they, they were... Rules set up in the Bible, Leviticus chapter 7, spoke of rules as far as what they were to eat, the meat that would be brought to them and for them. There was a process there. And God made it very clear. Let me just say this. When it comes to rules of life and holiness, churches don't get to set those. Uh, they, they try to set that. Each denomination, each religion wants to set their own rules. God gets to make the rules. You know who determines what holy and unholy is? God determines that. The Baptists don't get to determine that. Presbyterians don't get to determine that. Catholics and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't get to determine that. God, in his word, established what pleases him, what displeases him, the rules to get into heaven, the rules to avoid hell. God sets those, and man can try to set them, but it doesn't override God's eternal word and his rules. And you say, why? Why did he say they had to burn the fat? Why, why did he say they had to stick the three-pronged fork in there? Why, why did he say the, the breasts were separated for the, the priest to eat? That, that's up to God to make those rules. But these boys were so selfish, they said, we, we don't want that, that kind of meat. We want to choose. If, if we desire filet today, we're going to pick the filet. If, if we desire the T-bone or the porterhouse, we're the ones that get to pick that. And the people knew the rules of the priesthood, and they knew what the priests were supposed to do. And they would come in, and when they asked, they said, we, we don't want the sodden flesh, but we want the raw. We're, we're going to pick what we're going to eat here, what cuts. And, and they would say, at least let us burn the fat and fulfill God's will, because in Leviticus 7, God said disobedience to that command was worthy of death. They say, well, pastor, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense to you. God set up the tabernacle, God set up the temple, God set up the rules of the sacrifice to be obeyed, and they were in that position being very 
extremely openly disobedient to God's command. And all the people could see these boys are fleshly. This is not about God and his glory and his service. This is about them and fulfilling the lust of their flesh. And when you're fleshy, it's worse than that. Because verse 22 says, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did to all Israel, how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They, they literally were fornicating with the women coming into the tabernacle. These boys were totally out of control. Now, in this, God is contrasting their behavior with Samuel. And Samuel's growing in knowledge and wisdom and in favor with God man and, and his spiritual growth is marked here. Look what it says, verse 11. It says, Elkanah went to, the, uh, to Ramah, to his house, and the child, speaking of Samuel, what did he do? He did minister unto the Lord in his childhood. Verse 18, we read that he ministered before the Lord, being a child girded with the linen ephod. He, he was wearing priestly garments as a little child, and I, I believe, I, I often have this mentioned in Capital City, I was just in Carolina, and a man from that area visited our church, and he said, I, I've never met a church where the young people were better dressed, more respectful, and looked sharper. Uh, I, I said, praise the Lord. Parents, I think we come to God's house, we ought to pay a little bit of attention. Yes, sir. Amen? Yes. At, at least a little bit of attention. You say, does everyone need to wear a suit and tie? I don't, I don't believe that. If I wasn't the preacher, I don't think I'd wear a tie to every service. Just a confession. How many okay with that kind of thing? Some of you look cross-eyed at me there for a minute. I, I have to confess, I, I probably wouldn't wear a tie every service. But I, I do believe it's important, and she wanted to make sure he, if he was going that direction and fulfilling that calling, even in a childhood, she said, you're going to dress. If, if God has your future as a minister, as a priest, you're going to dress like one, even as a child. Yes. Look what it says, verse 21. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons, two daughters, a child. Samuel, what? Grew, Grew before the Lord. Verse 26. There came, uh, excuse me, and the child Samuel, what? Grew on, was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. So do you see the contrast? In the middle of this, we see a description of the wickedness of Hophni and Phinehas, but the godliness and the growth of little Samuel. Now, here's my question this morning. When you take a look at this uh, temple in Shiloh, and you take a look at the priest Eli, and, and you see Hophni and Phinehas and Samuel, uh, I want to ask you this morning, so which one of those boys was the product of the temple in Shiloh? Was Hophni and Phinehas or Samuel? They all were. How many ever looked at a church and said, how is it that, that that person went to the same church, the same school, the same Bible college, and acts like a reprobate, and, and that guy is a man of God? What, what kind of school is that? What, what kind of church is that? I'm confused. Well, that... If you look at the Bible example, there's, there's no church batting a thousand. There, there's no institution or Christian school or ministry. You, you even watch in homes. You have five kids and three do right and two don't. 
You know what we want? You know what our desire is? My desire is that every single child that's raised in this church would, would live for God, and in, not just in their childhood, but in their adulthood, love God and serve God and avoid the world and marry right and stay married uh, the rest of their life to the same person. And How many say that'd be a good thing? Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if you look back at the history of our, our church and our ministries and say every single young person that grew up in this environment, they're just 100% serving God, setting the example. Wow, that's powerful to see. But usually for every Samuel, you have a half an hour Phineas. And I thank God for our percentages. And folks, I don't want to beat our chest and say, well, our percentages are a lot higher than the average church. Don't compare yourself to the, to the lowest common denominator to brag on your accomplishments. I, I thank God for the track record and for all the young people that we've had uh, marry right and do right and love God and serve God. But I don't want for a minute to have a single son of a lie. Now, you know the you know the reference there, son of Belial, in the Bible is referring to a son of Satan. Now, parents, I have bad news for you. Did you know every child born into this world is born a son of Belial? Until you get born again. You're not a child of God by birth. I know I've heard people say, well, we're all children of God. No, we're not. That takes a new birth. You've got to be born of God. When a person uh, understands their condition, repents of their sin, cries out to God for mercy, the Holy Spirit of God moves inside. There's a new birth that takes place. You become, through faith, a child of God. But before that, uh, there's bad news. You're going to birth a, a son of a lie. And you want to make sure not just after salvation, but there's a growth in the word of God, knowledge of the word of God, and in holiness, so they don't go out and act like a son of Belial. And here's what you have with a poor testimony. It says that Eli heard all that his sons, because the rumors were spreading and the people were talking, and they begin to ask, how, how is it that that preacher has that kind of son, and especially in the ministry? And we've all looked, we've all noticed don't, don't you wish that those that are going to act like the devil would stay invisible? But they don't. Usually they're the ones that are the most visible. Uh, those with a poor testimony are the ones that the world looks and points and shouts and says, so that's what the church is producing? So that's what the Baptists are? Uh, so that's what a Bible college graduates? It, it doesn't matter. There is no possible way when you're dealing with people and human nature and flesh that you can have a hundred percent success rate where everyone coming through that ministry or everyone coming through that church or everyone coming through that college or everyone he's living for God and loving God and this church at Shiloh this temple at Shiloh was no different you'd say how is it that Hannah brought little Samuel and dropped him off and said let's dedicate him to God and to the work of God when she already had seen the other two boys that he had raised. How many of you would have paused and said, I've met a half nine and regurgitate every time I think of that boy and his behavior. And I've met Phineas and you're a failure as a father. I, I think, now, here's, here's what God did. 
You don't have to meditate. You don't have to study. You don't have to look to the Hebrew. You don't have to go to Bible college to figure out what the problem is. God said, I don't want any discussion when it comes to the root issue. I want to make it obvious so it can be dealt with and corrected in a very, a, a very plain level. Look what it says in verse 12. We identify the problem through Scripture. God makes it obvious. Now, the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They what? They knew not the Lord. Now, imagine all the sons of Hophni and Phinehas knew in order to be priests in the temple. I mean, they'd seen it all from, from the time they were little, little boys. Thousands, tens of thousands of sacrifices. They knew the rituals. They knew uh, each one of the sacrifices, how it was to be measured, the animal. They knew all the amounts. They, they had seen the priestly garments. Daddy had told them about the 12 stones and how they were carried there near the heart of the priest and how he's supposed to pray for each one of the, the tribes of Israel. And they, they knew the laws of uh, unclean and clean and the separation. And they had uh, grown up in this place the songs of God sung in the temple were scripture, and they had these deeply embedded in their hearts and minds. If you want to talk about boys that were ritualistic in their worship, these boys had fulfilled the rituals. And you know what our churches are producing? Children that know how to go through the rituals. They can quote the scripture, tell you the story, correct you on the details. They can, they can tell you all 66 books of the Bible and you give them five seconds, they can find uh, Nahum and you didn't even know it was there. <laughs> they can quote you verses from every book in the New Testament. They not only can sing songs by memory, they can sing all five verses of those songs. They know how to carry their Bible. They know which class to go to. Some of them, by the time they're 12 or 13, could teach a class. Because the rituals are perfected. We're not concerned about the rituals this morning because rituals can, can perfect a Hophni or Phineas. But the problem was, despite having grown up in this environment, not for a decade, but for decades, they knew not the Lord. Now, parents and Sunday school teachers, this is a corporate effort, but it starts in the home. Parents, I cannot tell you how burdened I am. I've watched the Baptists lose a generation or two of young people, and here's what happened. We so emphasized the exterior. We so harped on the, uh, on the rituals. We so clamored about what you need to do and how you need to do it and how you need to look doing it, that we forgot there's a root issue, there's a heart issue, and that is personally knowing God. And we're talking about a capital city. I, don't, I truly don't know of a church with a group of young people with higher character. And I think that's got to be emphasized. I think work ethic is important. 
If I was going to hire someone to do something out of my house, I wouldn't look to college age in the unsafe realm or the safe realm. I'd look straight in our high school. Those boys know how to work. Those boys will give you a 10-hour day in eight hours. They'll work in the hot sun. They know how to use a shovel. Uh, Mom and dad have taught them how to be logical. Uh, They're obedient. They work fast. They work hard. They stay focused. I thank God for that. The only problem is that's not going to keep their marriage together down the road. The only problem is character and character alone is not pleasing to God because you can end up being a Hophni of Phineas and a fornicator. And if we do not stay focused, all Satan wants to do is distract us in our focus long enough to create moral kids and good kids and high character kids and great integrity in our kids and forget that their walk with God has got to be the number one focus. They have got to know God personally, individually, and you've got to be able to see that the first thing I want recognized in my children is not their IQ or not their integrity or not their high character, but their personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how much a pastor emphasizes this. If a parent doesn't emphasize this, there'll be an absence and you'll take a kid in the same environment. You say, how is it same home, same school, same Bible college, same ministry, same master club, same everything. And yet you have one that is a son of Belial and the other is a separated servant like Samuel. How is it? Well, pastor, what is your church producing? Because I met that young man, and he's a son of Belial. Well, let me introduce you to this one. Well, how is it? Did you know churches are not like a Coke factory? You're dealing with individuals. You're you're dealing with personal choice. You're dealing with human nature. You're you're dealing with someone that has to make make a decision. I'm going to walk with God or I'm simply going to fulfill the ritual. And by the time they're 18 or 20, you start to, to see in a very obvious manner whether or not they know God. Look what it said in chapter 3, verse 1. The child Samuel, he ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Now, let me just say this, church. It is important, even before they know God, to establish the ritual. Amen. Get them in church. Make it a happy place. I want this to be the best place in the world. I want my kids to to be here. I love it. Uh, On Sundays when when kids are here, you say, Pastor, there's too much excitement in the hallways. Folks, our property is so small. They don't have a gym. They don't have a playground. They don't. Okay, I don't need little soldiers to walk in the door. <laughs> Go sit down, son. You pray and meditate on the word before church starts. <laughs> Can you just let them think church is a happy place? Yes. Well, they're, they're walking too fast. They're happy. <laughs> Amen. You know what, occasionally they're a little too rambunctious, but this is a small place. Well, they ought to have a reverence to the Word of God. I don't think they ought to be running around the auditorium. That didn't even happen. And, and maybe one of these days God gives us a 10-acre piece of property. And maybe he doesn't. Either way, it's not an issue. 
Don't stop the kids from enjoying the house of God. I'm going to growl at you like you growl at them if you take away some of their happiness from being at this place. Just because this is their happy place doesn't mean you get to become unhappy that they're having too much happiness. Amen? I, I think, I don't know if those are smiling, but here's what, he's ministering before he even understands. I want that to happen. That's why I say we ought to teach our two and three-year-olds to give them missions. Well, pastor, they're not even saved yet. Well, teach them to give the missions before they get saved, and after they get saved, it won't be difficult. Amen? He's ministering, and here's what happens. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. Now, we got to remember, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. They didn't, what we take for granted, they, didn't, they did not have. And it came to pass, at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see ere the lamp, but God went out in the temple of the Lord. Where the ark of God was, Samuel was laid down to sleep. And I'm thankful. Here's this boy as close to God's presence as he can get. And the Lord called Samuel. And his ears were open. He said, here am I. He just didn't know how to distinguish the voice of God. Now, parents, here's what we have to do. And leaders, here's what we have to do. And in, whether it's the school or Sunday school class or junior church or teen ministry, whatever, we've got to help young people distinguish the voice of the Lord. We need to get them in this book. Now, here's the difference. Samuel didn't have a completed Bible. Your kids, when they're little, they carry around New Testament. They begin to learn to read. And I remember, we laugh now, and we've told the stories, Chris, when he was five in kindergarten, just learning to read. And I bought him a Bible storybook, bigger than this Bible, 365 stories. Now, it wasn't one that were all pictures. It was mostly words and letters. And each story is about two or three pages. It's probably for a fourth grade level. We bought it for a kindergartner. And I remember him sitting, little legs dangling on the steps. And I gave it to him and said, son, you're going to read that. I remember the first time he started reading, he couldn't even pronunciate Adam and Eve yet. It took him like two and a half hours to read the first story. <laughs> and, and my wife came up to me. She said, do, do you think we should get him a different book? No, no, absolutely not. Well, I'm thinking about making him read two chapters tomorrow. <laughs> she said, do you, do you think he'll, he'll start to hate the Word of God? I said, no, he's going to develop a taste for the Word of God. And I thank God that he did develop a taste for the Word of God. But I want to make sure that my kids know that, that I expect them to have a personal relationship, but I don't want them just reading. I, I want them to, to have two-way communication. Not something mystical, not something Pentecostal. But how many people go to church? I, I'm not talking about churches that don't know God. I'm talking about churches where God's presence is felt, where the, the pastors have good leadership and, and great teachers and good parents. And yet, the majority of those kids have no personal relationship with God. Now, parents, this is something I truly feel like I could preach on every week. Because my concern is for each one of these young men, I thank God Brody and Landon on the piano. I've always wanted a male pianist. Nothing, I'm, I'm not a male chauvinist. And, and, you know, this world will try to twist it. And I thank God for Miss Simpson. I thank God for all that she taught. But boy, Landon, you better make it happen. <laughs> I don't want to put pressure on you. Okay? 
but I'm putting pressure on you. <laughs> One of these days, we're going to have dual male pianists. Amen? Brody, can you make it happen? But you know what? That's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is not that they become extremely good in their ability to play the piano. We have a dozen pianists, and they're all really good. But you know what's irreplaceable? Your walk with God. And if, if you miss a note and you mess up a song, and I don't care if it's our biggest event of the year, and you miss two notes in a row and you've got to restart that song, it doesn't even bother me. You know what does bother me? If you go a day without getting in the book. If, if you go a week and you don't hear from God. And how we as parents overlook that in, in almost, there's a naivety. And here's what we see in the, go, we're, we're going to have to look at this. Here's what's amazing. He was, Eli didn't realize at first what was going on here. But verse 6, the Lord calls yet again to Samuel. Samuel rose, went to Eli. He said, here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered and said, I called not my son. Lie down. Now Samuel, what's it say in verse 7? Did not circle yet. Every child is going to live their, their first few years of their life with that phrase, not yet. We understand that. But that's age related. If, if a child becomes a young person and at 13 we're still saying they do not yet know the Lord, now I'm nervous. This, this is why I pray with your, your kids. Hey, and you say, Pastor, what, what, what do you want to pray with my children? I'm a little bit suspicious. You ought to be suspicious because, yes, I have ulterior motives. <laughs> Pastor, what are, my, what are your motives? You already know them. I want to know if they walk with God. Yes. You can tell by the way a young person prays if there's anything there that's real or if what they have is superficial. Parents, this is why you ought to pray with your kids. You can quickly distinguish if there's an established walk with God. This is why every ministry from the Sunday school, yes, I believe you ought to give them Bible knowledge, but our constant emphasis has got to be on a personal, a personal walk with God. Or they will become a fornicator. They will become a liar. They will become a cheat. They will act like the heathen eventually if they have not. All that knowledge will do them no good unless there is a personal walk with God. He did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he wrote, now here's the good thing. God is so patient and so kind. He wants to have a relationship and he doesn't give up after the first or second time. Now, let me say to the parents, it concerns me when and I, I still believe in old-fashioned altar and the invitation. I believe that if God works, you ought to respond. Well, it's a long walk. It's all of 15 feet. Sit closer to the front. It wouldn't be a long walk to the altar. Well, they, they fill it up. It concerns me when a young person doesn't walk, walk an altar. It concerns me when I children don't respond to an invitation. But it's more concerning when you have parents that have gone weeks, years without ever using an old-fashioned altar. That tells me that parent is probably not paying attention to the spiritual welfare of their child or their relationship. 
Because when our relationship with God is right, there's a continual response. You know, you know what Samuel was doing? He was getting up and running. Now, let me just say this. If you don't have a good relationship with your parents or the adults in your life, you're certainly not going to have a good relationship with God. Let me, let me ask you this. How common is it for a child at seven or eight to hear someone's voice in the night to get up and run three times? You know what children do normally when they hear something in the night? Like six o'clock a.m. in the night. <laughs> this says, get up, it's time for school. They roll over, put a pillow over their head and say, I hope she doesn't come back for 15 minutes. Not Samuel. He arose and ran and said, you called. What do you have to say to me? Young people, your relationship with God is never going to be good until your relationship with authority is right and good. But here's what happened. Eli had to connect Samuel with the voice of God. And parents, here's what we have to do. It's not this, uh, you do right, sit right, stay right, act right. You know what that becomes after a while? An oppressive frustration. But when there's a father and mother saying, there's a God in heaven that wants to speak to you. And God has your best intentions in mind. He can help you avoid a lot of the mistakes that I made in my youth. He can help you have a great future. But what you're going to have to do is hear his word. And you're, you're fortunate that not like Samuel, but God has given us 66 books of his word. And he still is speaking. It's still inspired. Amen. And God is still speaking to us through his word. And you can wake up today and God wants to speak to you. And you need to listen. Yeah. You've got to clean out your ears. Hear what he has to say. Submit yourself and obey his word. Yeah. So here's what the leader was supposed to do. Connect the child to the voice of God so he can hear, discern, and respond. Look what it says. Eli said to Samuel, verse 9, Go lie down, it shall be. If he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down his place. The Lord came, stood, called. Is it other time? Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Now, young people, you know what you ought to do? And leaders, you know what you ought to be doing? Teaching those children to be very responsive. I want to set the example. I want my kids to see that I'm responding to the word of God. I'm submitted. I am obedient. I'm not resistant. I'm not frustrated with. I'm not rebellious to the word of God. I want them to, most of what is in God's word is easier caught than taught. And if they see the example, oh, the preaching is all good and the teaching is all good and the kids hear enough of that. But I want them to see an example in me that says, I'm listening to the voice of God. I'm responding to the voice of God. I'm submitted. I'm obedient. At no time do I want to be or show them an example of disobedience to the word of God. But every class, school, junior church, Sunday school, teen class, Every ministry, every class in the Bible college, everything ought to revolve around your walk with God. Your suit is nice. Your hair, I wish I had it. 
<laughs> Your singing group sounds good. Thank God for the tune that you can play on the guitar. But at the end of the day, that matters nothing if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about something I examine or consider once a week or once a month. I'm talking about I want to have my pulse on that every single day of the week. I want to be able to look my child in the face. I want to be able to look in their eyes. I want to know what is happening in their hearts. And I don't want this to go. Here, here's a problem. We're professionals at overlooking. And here's the problem that, that Eli had. We see a total difference in parental philosophy. The problem was not the church at Shiloh. The problem began with the parental duties being ignored by the members of the church at Shiloh. Here's what Hannah's, go back with me in chapter 1. What was Hannah's philosophy? Verse 26. She said, oh, my Lord, as I so liveth, my Lord, I'm the woman that stood by thee here praying to the Lord. For this child I pray the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have what? I've lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. You know what the right parental philosophy is? This child is a loan from God to me to be committed and given back to him and his child has been placed in my care for 18 years so I can produce someone in love with God. Church, I don't know how many times I've said my greatest concern in life is having my children successful or chasing something in life, a career in life, or something in life that doesn't matter to God. So they're successful. I, I, I can't. I talk to parents all the time, Chris, all the time. Uh, my son's a doctor, so I guess I'm supposed to jump up and down and shoot sparks out of my ears at the news that your son is a doctor. So do I do? Uh, what, what's my response supposed to be here? He doesn't go to church. He works every other Sunday. He's disconnected from his family. He lost two of his kids, but I'm supposed to be excited at the fact that he has a couple letters before his name that make him important. I'm concerned about, does that young person, young man, young woman, walk with God, live for God? Because if God placed those three under my care, my primary responsibility is make sure when they walk in adulthood, they have a personal daily walk with God that will protect them guide them, lead them. And parents, here's what you can do. Sooner or later, you're going to be able to measure how much you focused on this area of life because their adulthood will reveal their walk with God. They can all look the same. Not, Not really, but I guess for some, they can all look the same at school. They don't look the same. You see it in their countenance, you hear it in their conversations. You know it, you can identify it, but I guess some don't. Or some were willfully ignorant. And that's what we see in the parenting of Eli, who was supposed to be the man of God. Look what it says, chapter 2, verse 22. What's it say? Now Eli was very old. He what? Heard all that is... Why? Why did you have to hear? If you're in the temple, why don't you know? Why isn't it obvious to you what the boys are doing? 
You mean to tell me you work in the same temple and you didn't know that they were choosing the choice cuts of meat, not burning the fat, and fornicating with the women of the temple? That's called willful ignorance. How, how do you know, Pastor? You're accusatory. No, no, God tells us. 3.13. For I have told him, God, sending a message to Eli, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he what? He knoweth. God said he knows it. It's a willful ignorance. And there, there's no way when I talk to parents, there's a willful ignorance that covers our eyes and says, well, he's going to church. He's in the Christian school. He's all fine. That's not all fine. What's in his heart? What's been established? Is there a personal walk with God? Because adulthood will reveal his walk with God or his lack of a walk with God in this environment will produce a son of Belial or a Samuel. Same church, same nursery, same master's program, same youth program. You say, I don't understand, Pastor. I, I did exactly what you told me to do. No, 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 no. Wait, wait a minute. I, I know this is going to fall harsh this morning. I know it's going to fall harsh. And I know uh, when, when young people become adults, they make adult decisions. They are responsible. Hoffman and Phineas were responsible for their own decisions. But at the end of the day, we are either focused on our children establishing a personal walk with God or we're overlooking that in our children. And ultimately, time will reveal it. And we will pay the consequence because guess what happened, parents? Hold on for a second. That consequence not... It's not like a one-time purchase. It's like a lifelong credit card where the interest keeps going higher. Because that child that doesn't know, know God, the more poor decisions are made, the greater the consequences of those poor decisions. And sooner or later, that's your child, that's your emotional state of mind, that's your grandchildren, that's... It's all-encompassing in life. Pastor, you sure you didn't have another meeting that you needed to preach tonight? I'm pretty sure I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And thank God I don't have any filter. And thank God I don't feel restricted by the crowd. Because if you give me the dirty look, I don't even care. And I can see it this morning because I got my glasses on. He, he knew, but here's the problem. He failed in his response. What was, he, the Bible says, verse 13, his sons made themselves violent. What did he do? He restrained them not. There was no restriction. He didn't stop their behavior. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 23. Here's, here's all his response was to knowing their sin. He said to them, why do you do such things? Oh, that's profound. I hear of your evil dealings by all these people. Nay, my sons, it is no good report that I hear. Um, Eli, they are fornicating in the temple and they are priests. Address it and remove them. You know, this is an average parent dealing with the child. Son, that's not good. That was very dumb. You should never do that again. I think you solved the problem. Actually not. God help us as parents. 
to say, if they're behaving in this manner, the problem is a heart issue that has to be addressed. There's got to be an emergency brake that stops that car. And you say, no, no, this behavior is not going to continue. Now, hold on for a second. God said, I will punish your house. I remove your family from the priesthood for good. Eli, you're going to pay for this because you ultimately as a father. Well, they're adults. Pastor, what if they were 35 or 40 years old? They probably were, but God said, Eli, you have a responsibility to get a hold of that. And he didn't. And God said, okay, I'm changing directions. You're not part of my plans in the future. Now, when I can make Capital City this quiet, I know it's a good morning. Capital City, I, I want you to understand today one of the greatest burdens that I carry every day of my life is the spiritual well-being of your children. And when I look at those graduates, both high school and college, this next Friday, you know what's going through my mind? Do they have a walk with God that's established enough to carry them through the next 10 years? Because if they don't, we just produced a son of Belial. I wish I could say, there's another Samuel, and there's another Samuel, and there's another Samuel, and there's another Samuel. But if each one, you say, can he go through the high school in the Bible college and not have a walk with God? Yes. You mean to tell me he go through master's club and memorize all those verses and go through the Christian school and memorize all those verses and sit in all those chapels? Can you imagine how many Thousands of messages these kids have heard by the time they graduate from high school or Bible college. And yet, and yet, you can identify. You know what? Even you will sit there and you'll look at the diploma and you'll say, oh boy, we might have just produced another son of Belial. How did that happen? God said, the contrast is this. If you don't know God, you're going to end up just like Hophni and Phinehas. So what do we do as parents? We make this a focal point every single day. This isn't about reading a chapter. This isn't about reading a verse. This isn't about sitting on the front row. This isn't about wearing a suit. This is about a personal walk with God where you actually walk with God enough Well, when it comes to the things of God, there's actually a spark there. There's a happiness there. You you can normally tell it very quickly, just by the way a a kid sits in church or a young person sits in church. If there's no interest, you've got a son of Belial. If there's little interest, you've got someone headed towards becoming a son of Belial. Amen. Amen. I, I thank God. Thank God for little Titus. Running up, hugging my leg, showing me his suspenders, <laughs> pointing out his offering. Amen? You say, you say, preacher, he's too young to know. He's on, his, he's on his way. And there's a joy and a happiness there. You know what pastor's praying? I, I pray for each one of these kids, every single one. Praying for the babies in the nursery. I'm praying for each one of these kids. But you know what my first prayer is? that they would truly understand and establish 
a personal walk with God because everything else that we put into place is just one big ritual if there's not first a walk with God. 